Welcome to Positive Talk with Kevin McDonald. Hey, that's me. Hi, and welcome to Positive Talk. Our show features the best positive stories and people from around the globe as we endeavor to answer the universal question of why am I here and what is my purpose? Understanding that can change everything and knowing your greatness is fundamental to living your best life. So join us right now as together we work to create the adventure of our lifetime. And welcome, everybody, to a holiday version of Positive Talk. My name is Kevin McDonald, and we're excited to have you here. Um, and I guess I guess we need to talk about uh, uh, our guest today, whose name is uh, Dana Diaz, and she is an author. And she also helps people who are victims of narcissistic abuse and and those types of people. But before we go there, speaking of abuse, she's just east of Chicago. <laughs> Nathan, what's the temperature just east, east uh, of? I'm actually prepared to answer that question. I got some family up in the Chicago area as well in South Chicago, and it is bitter cold over yeah. there. I mean, you think it's cold right now in the Seattle area? Just subtract about maybe 20 more degrees from that because <laughs> they've seen lows of negative 11 yeah. in the South Chicago area. How long does it take you to warm up your car when it's negative 11 outside? <laughs> well, you see, now that I'm not married to a narcissist and I'm married to a wonderful gentleman who loves me, <laughs> He warms my car up. I, I'm princess in the pee over here, but I, it's okay. So it's all good. I just don't go outside basically because I also have Renaud syndrome in my hands. So I'll just freeze to death. So I just stay in. I have a warm fire going that the, the said husband has made for me. And uh, it's all good. We have hot cocoa. We have everything we need. <laughs> See, my brother, he went to college in North Dakota and they get really cold winters yeah. as well. And one thing they had out there, before you could plug your EV into a little charging station, you would actually take your internal combustion engine vehicle and plug it in while you're out at church or something like that, and it'll keep your car warm so you could drive it home without having to worry about it not turning on. Yeah, there was actually something in the news in Chicago this morning where they had several charging stations in the city that apparently weren't working because it was so cold and electronics and cold don't really mix. So all these people that had their cars charging never got the charge. So they were stranded with their, you know, Ooh. energy efficient vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work no anymore. There. I'm sure they're, they're fine vehicles, but you know, I live in the country. I need some diesel and some lifted, you know, like mud tires to get through this stuff. I know a little better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I can't decide. And maybe have you ever been to like Arizona? Yeah. I can't decide because I spent some time in Alaska, and it was winter time, and it was like ten degrees below zero, and so I know what you're going through right yeah. now. And but then, so I can't decide whether it is worse to be in 115 or 117 degree weather and trying to drive your car because your steering <laughs> wheel is so hot you can't touch it or you're 
in minus 10 degree weather and you have to chip it out with a you know an ice pick before you can go anywhere because either way it takes about 10 or 15 or 20 minutes to either cool down your car or warm up your car so that you can actually drive the dang thing see my resolution i'm better in the heat i would rather have palm trees a beach and a pina colada and i right now i'm an author so I don't have to go anywhere. I just need a laptop and an internet connection. So I'm good. Oh, well, <laughs> that, that is, that is just awesome. And I, I want to thank you for being here. Yeah. Happy, uh, um, Martin Luther King day, everybody. Yes. And uh, I hope everybody has having, if you got the day off, lucky you, <laughs> if you're working lucky us, because that means that you're out and about and we get to talk to you. So, um, it, it's, it'll be, a great show for us, all of us, because we're going to learn a lot today about something that, you know, a lot of people don't really talk about. Um, I mean, we talk about abusive relationships and we talk about physical abuse and sexual abuse and that kind of stuff. But narcissism is its own brand of that because it can encompass all of it, can't it? Yes, that is what makes it the most traumatic abuse to endure because people think it's like a type of abuse, like physical, sexual, fight. but narcissistic abuse is just when a narcissist abuses you, but they will use all the abuses and they even have a few tricks of their own. They use gaslighting and manipulation and silent treatment. Um, there's legal abuse, financial abuse. I mean, they will basically pull out all the stops to make sure that they entrap you, keep you, and basically force you into a life of submission and servitude to their ego. I, I, I can't even imagine how horrible a situation to be in something like that. Because it's, it's like there's no way out. And, and every day brings another cycle of something. And you're not sure what. It's kind of like a box of chocolates. You're not, gonna, you're not sure what you're going to get until exactly. you get into it. That's exactly right. And, you know, that's the hard part about it. Because people think like, oh, just walk out and it's easy to just leave. But you don't even, it's not that you don't realize it's going on, but you're being hit left and right with one thing and another and another where you don't have time to process one thing or deal with it before you're hit with something else. Plus they twist reality. So then you're questioning, did I hear that right? Did I interpret that right? Is that miscommunicated? So you're basically spending your whole life questioning everything, but not really dealing with anything. So then it goes on and on and on. But on the, on the very worst end of that, all joking aside, you know, we watch shows like 48 Hours or True Crime, and more times than not, I mean, these are narcissists. Narcissists make up over 20% of our prison population here in the U.S., the male prison population. So this is something that can be very dangerous for some people. And isn't it true that that's why some women are not able to get out of it because of the sheer fear about not what happens to them when they leave, but after they're, after they leave the, um, problems that they're going to have to deal with and running away from this individual who's going to probably pursue them as far as he can. 
Yeah, in a lesser, uh, less severe situation, like I'm thinking of somebody I know personally, you know, he was a narcissist, but it was more scolding and insulting and demeaning, and I'm not minimizing that. But, you know, like in my situation, I felt, oh, there were a lot of things I felt. I was scared to leave because of all the threats that he would take my son away from me. And I was not, I didn't want anything but my son if I left. There were a lot, of, he, he would create a narrative outside the home behind my back about my instability mentally and my that I was unfit to be a mother. Um, they'll just say anything that they can to make people um, basically question you. They want to destroy your credibility so that nobody would believe you if you said anything about them. But when you look at these people, they are in our communities. They're, they're volunteering at church. They're coaching the T-ball team. They're, you know, people think that they're like running around like Chucky with disheveled hair and a butcher knife, but they're not. They're, they're, you know, like Ted Bundy, the serial killer. Wasn't he handsome and charming? You know, these are not people that are running around, you know, exposing, you know, who they are for everybody to see. So it is very difficult to extract yourself from the situation because of the fear of whatever they are threatening you know, as a consequence. You know, it just dawned on me how insidious this could be. And I want, we want to talk about your story more and, and about how you got through it and stuff. But it seems to me that, and, and now that you mention it, not only was he treating you a certain way, he was telling other people lies about you in oh, yeah. order to keep them away and for them to be thinking that you're nuts and they don't want to talk to you because she's nuts he tells me all yeah. kinds of stuff that she does and it's crazy so yeah. so in so in essence you get isolated from oh, yeah. everyone because and that's how he wants it every narcissist usually will isolate and that's usually the first thing that they start with because they can't have you influenced by friends and family because if you told anybody what was going on they would tell you to leave or they would make you leave or they would come and get you yeah. <laughs> and the problem is like that's what happened in the beginning it was well we're gonna move 90 miles away from everything and everybody you know okay well, then the holidays would come. I'm going to go to my grandma's or I'm going to my mother's. Oh, well, they don't like me. Can we just go to my family's? Oh, I'm sorry. They really didn't. But it's like, okay, you know, we'll go to your, your family's this time. And, you know, it, it was all these things like basically putting that separation between me and my people, so to speak, and even friends over the years. I, I mean, even our next door neighbor, they were our neighbors for 17 years and we were very friendly when they were moved in but because he saw how close i was getting with her he didn't like that so he made it very difficult it was always fighting and arguing to where it was just easier not to socialize with her so she didn't see me for many many years because i i just didn't even want to walk out my house and it was the same if i wanted to go to church on sunday he would accuse me of meeting a man at church, or maybe I'm screwing the priest. And it was so ridiculous, but 
when I say argument or fight, it was so much so that I would either be very, very late or I would just not go at all sometimes because it was easier. But in the beginning, it started as, oh, you don't need to go to church this early on a Sunday, do you? Why don't you stay in? It's cold out. Let's cuddle and watch TV. Oh, okay. It seems harmless enough. But, you know, as time progresses, they, they just basically keep you away from anybody and everybody. You know, it, he, my ex didn't even like me reading books. I mean, I write books now. That's what I do. I have a college degree in journalism. I, I wanted to read all the time. But if I, if he caught me reading, oh my gosh, it was a thing. You know, he didn't like me being on the internet because I wasn't paying attention to him. I didn't even have a smartphone until after he moved out and I filed for divorce because God forbid the outside world could influence me. And your neighbor, who you were next to for 17 years, she probably thought that, well, she just doesn't like me or or she doesn't. She, so that's why we're not getting together. So she never questioned why and well, never <laughs> did she? Well, she did. Um, it, she's actually in the book. Um, she knew, but she didn't know. She suspected because her mother had been in a similar situation. So God love her. Honestly, she was my saving grace at the end because um, when, it, you know, we're, we're fast forwarding 25 years into this, you know, right about when we were divorcing, um, he actually went to the neighbor. They were having a bonfire. They had people. Everybody was drinking. And my ex actually said for everybody to hear that he was planning to kill me. And there were shots fired at my house a few nights later. So she knew. She knew. She just didn't know for sure. But she was there for me when I called her to be a witness and help me get an order of protection after all that. Um, it was, we picked up right where we had left off. I mean, she had never stopped worrying about me or keeping an eye out for me, so to speak. So thank God for that. But yes, you are correct that most other people did think that, you know, they call it ghosting now, like, oh, she just hasn't called me or texted me. She just must not want to be friends or must not like me. So I did lose most of my friends and honestly, most of my family um, over the years. So let's talk about the book. First of all, the yes. book is very important for people if you're going through the situation, and even if you're not, because I, I was talking with um, a young lady who was trafficked, and she yeah. was telling me that that while the general media perception is it's a guy in a window with greasy hair and a window windowless van that is snatching kids and snatching people. It's really not the case. It's mostly right. people that, that they know and people that they've been around. And it happens in our neighborhoods. It happens in our schools. Yes. And so everything that we're talking about here can be is happening in your neighborhood, is happening at your church. It's happening with people that you know. And because you're making a certain assumption, you're not thinking that it could be what it actually is. And that's why this book is so important. Thank you for writing it. Well, I appreciate that. It's just still sad to me that even when I have actually felt a little, I don't want to say resentment, but it saddens me that since the book has come out, I have had people 
um, contact me from my past that I haven't heard from in years and admit to me that they sensed something or they noticed something, but nobody did anything. Nobody did anything. And, and that's, you know, that's the thing that I struggle with most is people need to step in, err on the side of caution. Even if you're wrong, isn't it better to save a person's life? I mean, because not all of these situations are life-threatening, but like I said, you watch 48 hours, I guarantee you 95% of the ones I've seen are narcissists. And it's not just men, it's women too. They are calculated and they are dangerous and they want what they want. And, and even if the relationship is over, especially if there's a child involved, they will not release you until they achieve whatever it is they're trying to achieve. And usually they want their problem solved. And if you are their problem, they want you gone. By the way, we are talking with Dana Diaz and she's written the book Gasping for Air, The Stranglehood of Narcissistic Abuse. I'm just impressed that I can say narcissistic. Uh, <laughs> I am too. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. <laughs> It really is. But and but it's an important true story about your life and your marriage and and that went on for, I believe, it was over 20 years, correct? 25 years. Yeah. Holy Moses. And yeah. you got married when you were five, of course, because you are just yes. beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you. No, I was not quite five, but um, yeah, it was, I was very young and, and I thought that this, I thought he would grow up. I thought he would change. I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought I could make him love me more. I thought I could change the dynamic between us. I thought all these naive things um, instead of seeing what was in front of me and taking it for its face worth. And it's some, the question that somebody is asking is, so can't, why can you change somebody who's a narcissist into being a good oh <laughs> she is she is i am waving my hands, hands. <laughs> no no here's the problem narcissists so narcissism is very complex people spend decades studying this but there is it comes from a deep-seated insecurity but that insecurity they cannot acknowledge that they have any weaknesses. They cannot acknowledge that they make mistakes. They cannot acknowledge the slightest thing or feeling that they are less than in any way. And they do not look very kindly um, at any kind of diagnosis as a good thing. So you will never get a narcissist to admit they are a narcissist or say, gee, I need help because I'm a narcissist. They don't think anything's wrong. What they do, in fact, is actually they're, they're, they spin the truth. They tell you, you're the narcissist. Oh, and by the way, you're crazy too. So you're never going to get a narcissist to heal. I am all for people acknowledging things that are wrong and, and self-awareness. Those are not things that a narcissist, a true narcissist would even fathom. Now, this person that asked this question, just to direct this uh, to you, you might know somebody that has a lot of narcissistic qualities, but that does not exactly make them a narcissist. Because we have this little complication where, you know, for example, 
I came out of an abusive childhood as well, which is very common for adult abuse victims. When you're abused as a child, oftentimes you seek that validation and that sense of importance and worthiness in your adult life, which can present as narcissism. But anybody that has a kind heart and any kind of self-awareness is not a real narcissist, if that makes any sense. I mean, my test for are you a narcissist or not is to ask yourself if you are one. If you're worried that you're a narcissist, you're not a narcissist because a narcissist is going to immediately say, what are you talking about? You're crazy. They love that term. You're crazy. It's their go-to. <laughs> so so if, <laughs> if you're thinking that your behavior may be questionable, then you're not really a narcissist and you, and you can be helped or you can change yes. your own behavior. Correct. But if you believe, if you believe, if somebody says, I think you may be a narcissist. Oh, you're crazy. Yes. That's not me. I'm perfect in every way, like Mary Poppins. Then, that, <laughs> then that's the kind of individual that, and yeah. I, can, I can understand that because they're going to say, what's the matter with you? I'm perfect. You must be crazy. Right. You're the, they always say you're crazy, but they usually will say you're the narcissist and, and twist it around. So, yeah, but, you know, that's fine. It's like you that little. Can't argue with them. Yeah, it's like that little kicks at nine a.m. Not and so are you, kind of. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they do act like toddlers often too, so that's always fun. <laughs> do they stamp their feet and have? They do actually. Yes, my ex would stomp up and down the stairs every couple of hours at intervals to make sure that I wouldn't sleep at night. Yes, he actually did stomp around and pout quite often. He would go in a corner in a recliner in a dark room and sit there and wait so that I could chase him and beg him and grovel to come back, please. Just I used to. And then I stopped because I didn't want him to come back. And I, I wasn't going to lower myself to that. You know, I wanted to be married to an adult man, not a frat boy that acted like a, a pouty five year old. <laughs> oh, what 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 uh, emotional turmoil you must have gone through for that whole time? It was awful. It was awful. But, you know, the problem was, was that I was primed for it. You know, it, we don't have to get completely into my childhood. That's a whole other book that'll be released later this year. But, um, <laughs> you know, being born to a mother that didn't want me and she was young and um referred to me as an accident and a mistake my whole life and even went so far as to say she wanted to have an abortion and then she married a man who physically and verbally abused me constantly telling me nobody would ever love me and I was worthless and I was a burden and you know that he shouldn't have to pay for another man's child to be fed and clothed and sheltered and all the other crap that was told to me I, I was a people pleaser. I, I came out of that house thinking that, you know, I was so starved of love that if anybody showed me the slightest kindness, the slightest affection, you know, it, I, I latched onto them. I, I just, I, I craved it so badly. So when my, you know, ex-husband and I met, to be honest with you, the, the moment I met him, I'll never forget he held himself with a sense of arrogance and entitlement. He reminded me very much of my stepfather, who I 
is a vile human being to me. So I didn't want any part of this man, but he was the only person that showed interest in me. And I was so desperate for whatever little crumb of what I perceived to be love that, you know, he offered it. And I, it, you know, I always say it's like giving, you know, a starving child on the street a, a meal, you know, a, a plate of hot food. How could I not reach for it? So, you know, it was the perfect storm. He needed servitude and I was a people pleaser. So it worked for a couple days and then things started to get fun. You know, the angry outbursts and, and things flying across the room. And, you know, I, it just, it progressed over time, but I found myself doing exactly what my mother had done, what I had seen her do and what I just resented her for, which is that she excused, enabled, and tolerated the mistreatment. And then I was doing the same thing. Oh, he must have had a bad day. Oh, well, maybe I didn't cook that right. Maybe I won't do that again, and then he won't get angry. So then I was tiptoeing and doing the walking on eggshells, you know, hoping to fly enough under the radar that I didn't provoke that, you know, angry side of him. You know, I referred to him as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and the mood could shift real quick. I never knew what I was walking into or what I would walk out of it with. But um, yeah, it, it definitely takes you on, on a on a mental ride, especially when you're on it for 25 years. I, I refer to it as feeling like I was on a hamster wheel, like I was always running, trying to make progress or trying to get away from the whole situation. But I always found myself exactly in the same place because whenever he sensed that I was onto him or that maybe I was done with everything because I was done so many times, he knew exactly what to say and what to do to lure me back. And he made promises and he wrote me beautiful letters and I, I fell for it. I, I hoped, I wished, I prayed, I did all these things thinking someday something will change him, but it never did. And that's how human nature is. Yeah. You, you, when a guy suddenly is nice to you again and he sensed that, that you might be on the cusp of leaving and suddenly it was like, ah, it's a, everything's wonderful again until right. he feels more confident that he can then turn it back around and go back to the same pattern that he was using yep. before. It's a push and pull, a constant push and pull. So when people say, well, if it was that bad, how come you stayed so long? There's a million reasons why people stay in any relationship that they're not completely happy in. I mean, never mind that you live in the same place and may not financially be able to live somewhere else. Or, you know, like after we had a kid, I mean, you know, I, I had this thing that I have to keep the family together. I can't leave. But, you know, there's all these reasons. But there's always that main reason is that you have the investment of time and emotion and everything else in this relationship. And you're just hoping that something, something you say, something you do, something somebody says to them, something they experience, anything will basically bring them back to earth and make them see what they're taking for granted. And that then everything will magically be better. But when when somebody I, I just felt like the stagnancy over time, you know, even in the end, when I'm divorcing a 45 year old man, he was still the same 20, 
what, 20-year-old frat boy that I met still drinking to the point of complete inebriation every night and, and still acting immaturely and just, you know, you're supposed to grow together and we just didn't grow. And, and again, these are things that are in any relationship, but at some point you have to decide, you know, what's best for you. And if you really want to proceed with the rest of your life that way, because I felt like giving him 25 years of chances and, and even trying to improve myself, because I'm not going to stand here and say that I was perfect. I mean, I like to think I am, but I'm not, I, you know, <laughs> my halo could use a little straightening once in a while, but you know, it does take two to create a dynamic. And he and I were like oil and water, you know, could, is there somebody out there that's for him? You know what? Maybe I, you know, aside from the abuse, and we even had a few incidences of domestic violence. And yes, he did admit to wanting me dead. He was planning to kill me. I don't know that somebody would want to engage in a relationship with him, but he is in one. And you know, good for him and good for them. And maybe they'll work. It's not my problem, but he and I, it, it just wasn't going to happen. I, I was done when, when I finally woke up, so to speak, and realized that nothing would ever change and that this wasn't a life that I was meant to live. I, I, I didn't even want to live any part of the life. Everything we were doing, every, even the city we lived in, the house we lived in, everything about our life he had dictated it was what he wanted he didn't care what i wanted he just wanted me i mean he actually told me at one point that our home was a prison and that i didn't need to leave there that i just needed to stay there basically and be at his beck and call to serve him but there was nothing about our life that was serving me in any positive way and i finally realized that i deserved good mental health, good physical health, because I didn't even have those two basic things. Um, and I deserved more. I deserved to decide what I wore and what I ate and where I went and who I could be friends with and not be friends with because I was a grown woman and it was about time. So I'm glad that I, I made that choice. Goodness gracious. When you're in a relationship that you can't decide what to eat or what to wear or what time you're going to go to bed or what TV show you're going to watch, that's, that's, that's not a relationship at all. And yeah. uh, by the way, we're talking with Dana Diaz and gasping for air, the stranglehold of narcissistic, of narcissistic abuse is the book. Uh, get it. We need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about freedom. Yes. and how you attained yours and are you able today now i know you're happily remarried <laughs> yeah. are you able today to put all of that other stuff behind you and that this i would call him a monster from my point mm -hmm. of view yeah if he is leaving you alone and you're able to continue your life but we need to talk about that if if to whatever extent oh, absolutely you can. <laughs> you're listening to positive talk with kevin mcdonald and we will be right back after these messages don't go anywhere do you need to boost your sales join our partnership program each quarter we promote 10 partner businesses what will you get the company will produce one 30 second video for your business your website links on positivetalkradio.net and kmmedia.pro one dedicated podcast or radio show per month one video instagram reel one youtube short 
one 60-second clip for social media taken from your interview, and at least one commercial airplay per show. All podcasts and video commercials are within the fabric of the show and will remain in the show forever. Visit kmmedia.pro to book a consultation today. When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. For being our appreciated listener, you can use promo code PTR20 at checkout to receive 20% off your order. A naturaldesign.com at your fingertips today. We believe in the power of telling your stories. We want to help yours be seen and heard. At the Pacific Northwest Collaborative Magazine, our purpose is to connect you to your community. Let's begin by celebrating the accomplishments of local artists featured in this brand new digital magazine. Here, you can learn about opportunities to creatively come together and support our local community and neighbors through the gift of art and service. If your business or organization would like to take part in this magazine, message us on Instagram at pnw.collab. You can download our free digital magazine at KM Media Pro today. Thank you to our dedicated fans. We are updating our live on-air schedule to make it super easy for you to hang out with us five days a week, Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We broadcast on YouTube, Facebook, and live on Fridays with Kixie 880 AM Seattle Live. You can find our library to binge all the podcast platforms. We can't wait to see you at 3 p.m. Monday through Friday, starting September 4th, Labor Day 2023. And welcome back to Positive Talk with Kevin McDonald and Dana Diaz is our guest. She has written the book Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse. I can't say stranglehold. What's for a minute with me? Anyway. It's okay. The whole thing's a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, first of all, I want to say this. If you are in a situation and you feel that Dana's story could be your story or is your story and you're in the middle of it. I'm going to give you a number. It's 988. Call the number. It is a national hotline and it can help people that are in your situation find the resources and the ability to get out of it, whatever it takes. Uh, that, again, is 988 that is the national hotline um, because there was a point in time when you didn't feel like you could get out. What was it? How did you transform yourself into saying, all right, that's enough. I've had it. I'm gone. You know, that's the funny thing is that there were so many times that it should have been, it should have been when he swung a crowbar at my head. It should have been when he brought a knife to my door in the middle of the night and wanted to stab me. It should have been when he was shooting a gun outside of my bedroom window, wanting to kill me. It should have been all kinds of things, but you're a forgiving person. I have to say, I'm telling you. Yeah. I don't know about that. I think I was just, I, I'm, I think there's this hopeless part of me that just 
wants to hold out and give people chances to to be better. You know, I I think we all can be. Um, I'm learning that some can't. <laughs> but you know, the breaking point for me was at the end of 2018. I had been physically just very unwell since 2018 for over a year. Um, the most alarming thing was in November of 2018, within a two week period, for no reason whatsoever, I dropped down to 93 pounds. Oh, man. Um, it, it, yeah. And I was skeletal. I mean, it looks great in a bikini, but it's not healthy. It's not normal. <laughs> and I couldn't tear toilet paper off the roll. I couldn't breathe. I just, I, I was feeling so many things internally that I couldn't even express. I've been, I went to every specialist, every, I, I mean, nobody could figure out exactly what was wrong. They were finding multiple things wrong. I even, I'm a type A, so I even made a spreadsheet of the two dozen symptoms that I was having and marked it every day so that when the doctors would say, how often does this happen? I could say exactly this many times in this time frame. But, you know, it was everything from my hands going numb to frequent urination to um, blurry vision and blacking out to muscle stiffness. If I sat for more than 10 minutes, it would take me 10 minutes to stand up. I mean, I was like, uh, it, it was awful. So many things were happening. Long and short of it, I finally get with a neurologist that gets me with Mayo Clinic. They take 19 vials of my blood and they do a cortisol test. They call me and say, we think we compromised the cortisol test lab labs because we need to do it again. Your levels cannot possibly be that high. So we did the cortisol test again. For those who don't know, cortisol is the stress hormone, similar to adrenaline, but when you're really stressed out, it runs through you. The levels should normally run between 100 and 700 if you're under a lot of stress. <laughs> Mine were over 2,500, 24-7. And they said, because this goes back to my childhood, they're like, you've been living in fight or flight mode since basically you were born or your very early years. And that caused my body, my white blood cells thought it had to eradicate some kind of a, a virus, like a cancer or something, that they killed themselves off, which was causing all these autoimmune reactions in me. And then I even developed what, it, it, it's a lung syndrome called upper airway resistance syndrome that the doctor says it's like having COPD and fibromyalgia all at once. Oh, so I end up with a backpack oxygen machine to breathe, I'm on a pill for this and a pill for that and a pill for everything and a mood stabilizer just to keep me calm all the time, you know, just so I wouldn't be stressed, you know, and have my body react. But it was miserable. And, and basically, by the end of 2019, my doctor sat me down and said, look, all of your organ systems, your major body systems are shutting down your body. You're alive, but you are shutting down. He says, your, your heart is barely beating. You have basically no blood pressure. They were even talking about putting a stent in me. I'm in my early 40s then. I shouldn't have, you know, a pacemaker or any of these things in my heart. I mean, I'm too young for this. Um, I, it was just so alarming to me that, the, you know, I could be killed without him putting his hands on me and then he'd get what he wanted. 
And at the end of the day, I mean, I, I'm laying there. And I mean, literally at the end of that day, I was laying there thinking, okay, so I'm getting sick. My body's dying. I'm just going to die. He's going to get my life insurance policy, probably buy a Mustang or something really cool to drive around in with that money. And then he's going to raise my kid. No, there's no way in hell. So I just said to myself, what do you want? What do you want? And I said, well, one, I want to be alive. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, number two, I wanted to be married. I just wanted to be married to somebody that at least wanted me alive and liked me. I mean, minor details, but I wanted to be in a loving relationship because I felt like I had a lot of love to give, but I also wanted to get a love, a lot of love too. So, you know, and I always wanted to write. I had my degree in journalism from DePaul University, but, you know, my then husband wouldn't allow me to pursue a career in journalism or, or even writing for the local newspaper because God forbid I felt a sense of achievement or accomplish, you know, because that might make me feel good about myself and then I would leave him. So I just decided I needed to start making decisions for me. I needed to stop letting this man dictate how my life was going to be and take control of it. Otherwise, I wasn't going to have a life. So that's how I got myself out is I just basically thought about it. I asked myself what I wanted. I knew what I wanted. And I think it was even unconscious. I started just enacting all, all the steps to get to that point. And, and the first thing was obviously divorcing him, you know, so I called an attorney. Um, I had several attorneys actually that I had talked to that would tell me what I'm entitled to and how I should go about this and fight for this, that, and the other. I didn't want to fight. I, I, I didn't even, I didn't even care what he took or what I got. I just wanted my son. I wanted my son and I wanted to walk out. I could make money. I could replace things. I didn't even want the house. I didn't want anything but my kid because thank you, by the way, for sharing that hotline. I think that you don't realize until you're really in the situation of knowing you got to get out that, you know, for there are so many people in this world that will make sure that every community has resources to make sure you will have food and shelter and clothing, and they will help you get back on your feet. They will help you establish yourself somewhere else and have your own place to live eventually, and your children will not go without. Is it a struggle? Yes. But I have seen, you know, thanks to my book and, and the connections I've made with people, I have seen people go from terrible, dire circumstances living on the street, you know, with two autistic children. That's one woman that I know who I think is the bravest person that I've ever met in my life. And she is now in her own place and they're doing okay. And they even got their cat back. So, you know, everybody can have a happy ending. You just have to decide what it is that you want and then make that happen. A couple of things yeah. strike me. Number one is, isn't it amazing what high stress can do to your body? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, and and a lot of people will poo-poo, you know, the stress thing that, that it can have a negative impact on you, but it can. And yes. the other thing is it also affected your body energetically yes. because your energy level was lower and you were not able to get through some of these things. Now, 
I mean, I was also struck that uh, I know he was in control of everything, and it would have been very difficult. But I think that perhaps a life coach, a really good life coach, who you can talk to maybe via Zoom, on the phone, independently, doesn't need to know, that can help you. Somebody that's in your corner would right. that have would that have shortened your your I guess, learning curve and to be able to get out if you felt like you had somebody in your corner that could say, Dana, Dana, really, you've got to get out of this situation because it's not healthy for you. It is literally killing you. Maybe, maybe not. Because honestly, I not only having been in that situation, but having been on the other side of it, you know, talking to people who are in um, really bad circumstances, People need to see it for themselves. There's nothing you, it, it's kind of like addicts. You're not going to just suddenly spark something in an alcoholic or a drug addict that's going to make them say, oh, you're right. I'm going to stop this right now. They have to make that choice. There has to be, I, we all have a deal breaker inside of us. And we don't even know sometimes what our own deal breaker is. For me, it was my life and it shouldn't have to be that extreme. But how many times before that had my life been on the line? But it was that time. It was that time when he didn't even have a part in it other than stressing me out to that point. But it just has to be the it kind of, I, I'm talking about the perfect storm again. There must be a sign here. I must be having a premonition, but you know, there has, it has to be a line, an alignment of the right time, the, the right circumstances, the right mindset. Um, there's a lot that goes on, but if somebody said that to me, I don't know that that would have changed my mind because honestly, the problem is with narcissists, they are putting GPSs on your cars. They are, I mean, with smartphones now, they can track you with, with wherever your phone is. My computer, even after my divorce, my ex was coming into my house without my knowledge. I was finding out and going through my computer and going through our things. They look to see where you have been. They check your, you know, where you're going on the internet. So you can't always, you know, do something like a Zoom or, have, I mean, you can't go to therapy or counseling because they know they have us and they stalk you. Sometimes I've been stalked. They follow you. You can't get away with anything. Just like my book, honestly, how many times have I had people say, oh, I, I have a niece or my daughter or whoever, I'm going to send her your book. Yeah. A book that says the stranglehold of narcissistic abuse, you're going to set that on their coffee table and your daughter's going to sit there and read it. No, 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 no. You take something like this and you say, hey, listen to this show. It's really interesting. Or you send them some other podcast because people, you know, it's kind of like little kids. Like my son, when he was two, he wouldn't touch a banana. But then I leave him with my friend for an hour one day because I had an appointment he couldn't go to with me. And she says, oh, he loves bananas. <laughs> Who the hell are you talking about? Not my child. But somebody else gave him the banana. So somebody else sometimes has to be the one. You are right about that. It can't come necessarily from the mom or the sister or the lady at church or whatever. But people truly have to decide in themselves that they are done and they want out. And then they will be receptive to the assistance that other people are offering. 
You know what makes my heart really warm for you is that at the beginning of the show, when we were talking about how cold it is and where you are in <laughs> Chicago, and it's and it's like, do you even go outside or how do you warm up your car? And she says, I have a wonderful, loving husband <laughs> who warms my car up for me. He built a fire in the fireplace yeah. because he loves me. And so if you're in this situation now, it doesn't mean it's forever. You Correct. can get out of it and, and just do, do yourself a favor. And at one point, figure out why you're dating the same guy in a different suit. And then go for somebody other than that, that persona that they're putting out there. Um, because that's, you're going to end up at the same place and you don't want that. And uh, congratulations, by the way. And congratulations on the book. How's it doing? It's well, you know, I it's kind of strange to me because it's been very successful. The average book only sells 250 copies, and we're at over 2,000 and still going very strong. And a lot of people these days, if you buy a print book, you're sharing it, and it's in a couple libraries. And I mean, it's had an amazing response. But you know, the the sad part of that is that. I, I'm, I'm sad that it does, you know, I wish that I had said going into this, that I wasn't writing the book. It wasn't for me necessarily. It wasn't, you know, some people thought it was a vengeful act against my ex. It wasn't any of that. I said, if I can just save one person, reach one person and save them from what I went through and maybe even save their life, then I'm good. And I have had so many, we have reached way more than one, but I'm saddened. Like I'm almost losing faith in humanity. Some days it depends because so many people reach out to me and say, oh, you, it's like you wrote about my life or my former marriage was the same, or they connect with it in some way. And it just, it, it shouldn't be that prominent. I would like to think that we're better than that. And that, I mean, I hate to sound so idealistic, but if we could just all be nice to each other in this world, what a what a much more pleasant place it would be for everybody. Then maybe we would eradicate. Like I wouldn't have medical problems to deal with the rest of my life, and and children wouldn't see mom being disrespected or God forbid physically assaulted. And you know, there's all these things that you know in our happy lives we we don't see. And so it's kind of like, you know, ignorance is bliss, but it's, it's a very real thing for a lot of people. And it's so real and, and so ever present in their lives that it's their norm. And that's the worst part of it. Well, you wrote the book, the same reason why I do this show. And that's because there are people who are going to it can be five years from now, can be 10, and they, they're going to walk into a, maybe a used bookstore or they're going to walk into a library and they're and your your book is going to reach out and speak to them and it's going to cause them to change their life and that is the highest calling and that's what you should be doing and somebody's going to be listening to this show it can it's going to be on uh, uh, podcasts and television and and youtube and in all kinds of places, and somebody's going to find it. doesn't matter. It's not our job to decide who or when, but somebody's going to find it, and they're going to try, and they're going to search you out, and they're going to find this book, and it's going to matter. 
and it's going to mean something to you. That's, I can't think of a higher calling than that. And yes, it would have, it's like that old, uh, um, Beach Boy song. Wouldn't it be nice if <laughs> I love that song? <laughs> all my so all my chapter titles are song titles, and actually, wouldn't it be nice is one of the song titles for a chapter in one of my next books coming out. But yes, it oh, it would be nice. It would be nice. But it it's such a nice thing to be able to connect with people that have been in my situation mainly because I think we always feel that we're alone and the, we're the only ones going through it. And it's kind of, a, I guess it's like an oxymoron that all of us people who thought we were so alone are now connecting and we have a community <laughs> of alone people <laughs> who aren't so alone after all. Well, you know, I, that's I'll the beautiful thing about the world. We can all have a group or some sense of community with whatever it is that brings us together. But this is definitely something that is unique that most people don't and I hope would never have to experience. But those of us that do, um, we definitely unite on social media and through programs like these, you know, just so that we know somebody else gets it. If something good came out of COVID, if anything, it is our ability to get together and not physically necessarily need to be together because you can have a Zoom that that has people from all over the world and Absolutely. you can connect with people everywhere. But let's we're we've run out of time sadly, but I want to go through your information danasdiaz.com is where you need to go to find out all about her and buy the book from her, would you? Um, she makes a little bit more money that way, and she deserves <laughs> to make as much money as she can. Uh, Gasping for air, the stranglehold of narcissist, narcissist, now I blew that, narcissistic abuse. Dana S. Diaz is the author. You are delightful. Will you come back? Can we do this again? I would love to come back. There's so much more we can talk about too. And hopefully it'll be much nicer outside. So I won't be complaining about the weather. <laughs> yeah, I understand completely. <laughs> uh, again, you're, you're listening to positive talk with Kevin McDonald and Dana Diaz has been our guest. And thank you everybody for tuning in. We'll see you Wednesday at four o'clock. And by the way, as we've said in the show, be kind to one another because each other's all we've got. We'll see you Wednesday. Have a great day, everybody.